Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. We have a very special guest this week, David Warnoff. David has a, a dual job and uh, a dual capacity for re- being on this program. One, he is the publisher of a newspaper that is doing quite well in this day and age, and that's an interesting thing, and we want to talk about the newspaper business. He also is the publisher of Business North Carolina, a business magazine that focuses on unique aspects of North Carolina's thriving economy. And... Uh, uh, we uh, and some other magazines, and so we want to talk about the magazine business. So, David, first of all, welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you on. Well, thank you for what an honor to be here, Don. And of course, I failed to mention that you had a uh, very famous uncle that uh, uh, was both a favorite of mine as as well as I think your favorite uncle. He he, he very much was my favorite uncle, and he was also my only uncle. Well, so that, I, I got I, dual, I dual that, duties that, with that. Yeah. And that would be Frank Daniels Jr. And so uh, uh, we'll, we may even talk a little bit about him somewhere during the program. Of course, he just recently passed away uh, and uh, would have been 92 years old, what, uh, last week or something like that? Yes, sir. It was uh, early September. Yeah. Well, what a wonderful career he had. But let's talk a little bit, first of all, about uh, the uh, the magazine Business North Carolina, because magazines unlike the daily newspaper magazines seem to be thriving in this day and age a little bit tell us a little bit about not only business north carolina but also the magazine business in general okay well i have to say don i'm an i'm an accidental magazine publisher um and 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 have have just sort of like a lot oftentimes the case i stumbled into the business and and found that i really loved it um we started Pine Straw Magazine down here in Southern Pines of Pinehurst in 2007. And it was a print public, it was a uh, newsprint publication when we acquired it. And I thought I'd just start off with a funny little story about this could only happen in Pinehurst, um, where I live. Uh, the uh, person who owned the magazine, uh, it was then a newsprint. We eventually converted it to glossy. Um, he used to work at the pilot and wanted to come back. And so we struck a deal really very quickly. And she was all excited about it. And they said, well, you know, the guy that owns the bar behind the newspaper, uh, you know, he owns part of the magazine. So you're going to have to go strike a deal with him to take care of his interests. I was like, oh, boy. So I walked across the bar. I walked across the parking lot. And go into the bar and belly up to the bar and get a beer. And Neville, who owned the bar, uh, yeah, we were kibitzing. And he said, well, uh, I finally just said, all right, Neville, what, what do you want? And he and just sort of mentally braced myself for this big number. And he said, well, again, only in Pinehurst could this happen. He said, well, David, I, uh, I always hoped I'd get a set of golf clubs out of the deal. So I, I – uh, I bought Pine Straw Magazine for a set of Titleists in in 2007, just before the U.S. Women's Open, and and been in the magazine business ever since. Um, now, now that time has gone by, who got the best deal? I, I think I I think I got the better end of that bargain. I'm oh. very confident in that. Um, so we 
we had this magazine and the uh, I, I had a, a fellow who was writing for us, who's a New York Times bestselling author. His name was Jim Dodson. And Jim had, had been a ace golf writer for golf magazine for years and had given up the uh, the world of big big time golf and moved here and I talked to him to come work for the pilot and cover the 05 open and and he was our writer in residence and he was working for the newspaper and but he fashioned himself a magazine guy which is sort of like being you know running a, a series of Hampton Inns and then suddenly getting in the resort business so that's sort of the would be an analogy between newspapers and magazines Okay, and I um, I knew that so we we had him for one year, and then the community was you know begged him to stay. So Jim stayed on another year, and he was writing a book about living in Pinehurst, which was it ended up being published in two thousand eight, and it was called A Son of the Game. Um, and I knew that after two thousand seven that if I didn't come up with something for him to do, he, he would leave. So I came up with the idea. If I bought Pine Straw magazine and made him the editor, uh, that we'd keep it, which ended up being the case. So Jim was the editor. The, the lady who was running it became the art director. Her name is Andy Rose. And we got in the magazine business that way. And then we were having having some success, and the editor and publisher of Business North Carolina magazine, where I worked early in my career, uh, decided to retire, and his son decided he wanted to wanted to continue working there. But his name is Ben Kinney, uh, but he wanted to sell his his father's interest, so he approached us about acquiring it, which we did, and and on the condition that Ben stay on as publisher which he did. And so we've owned it since 2015. And and most recently had a really sharp looking young man on the cover um, by the name of Don Curtis. <laughs> I, 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 uh, I have to share that with the listeners. Somehow or another, they, uh, Business North Carolina Magazine did a feature on radio and on my career. And somewhere they found uh, their seven, my picture at 17 years of age as a disc jockey at WLTC in Gastonia, and they put that on the cover. <laughs> I've enjoyed that greatly. I, I appreciate that. Uh, well, you, you're the spinning image of Buddy Holly. Well, so. yeah, I, I had my Buddy Holly glasses on. Of course, during that time and period, I thought I was a legend, and I was in my own mind, but uh, not anybody else. But anyway... Uh, that was a, 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 a real honor, and I appreciate that. They did have one error in that, and I uh, have to correct that. Uh, they had me at 86. I'm not that old. Uh, so, uh, other oh, than no. that, <laughs> I, I, fortunately, I'm not that old. I'm, I'm old enough. Get Don't get me wrong, but I'm not. Oh, I'm sorry we got had that error in there. Uh, <laughs> um, we, but uh, ahead, Business Dr. North Carolina is a, is a unique magazine, and through the years, I've been a subscriber for years. And through the years, it just seems to get better and better. And it seems to be more and more focused on uh, the business community than ever before. It just seems like uh, to me, it's uh, I look forward to each edition 
a little bit more. But tell us what you why you think uh, magazines that focus on specific uh, areas of concern like business are thriving in this day and age. Well, there are two two reasons. One, I I think the frequency of of, of magazine works in our favor. So Business North Carolina is, is published monthly. So that's enough time to pick the magazine up and read it in installments. And so it's not like a newspaper where you've got to pick it up and read it. And, and there's another one coming out the next day or two days later. This, you've got a whole month to consume it. And I think that's part of the popularity of its readership. And then the second part is the the tighter the either the coverage area in subject matter or in geography, uh, the more voraciously the product is consumed. So if if you're covering a a very tight geographic area or you're covering just a, one subject, the the people who people who pick that up are very interested intensely in that subject. And and that that just makes you more relevant to your readers. And I think in this day and age, relevance is the coin of the realm. And if you're not relevant, then you're not going to be around very long. So your forecast for the magazine business in the print area is one of optimism. Yes. Uh, now it's getting more and more expensive to print it. So that'll. You know, and finding and finding paper to print it on is sometimes a, a challenge. But for the most part, I I feel like we've got people's attention, and therefore we have advertisers' attentions. We can rent that we can rent that attention to advertisers, and they can. Uh, so I feel like it's still a pretty good business to be in. Well, it's an interesting and and your uh, scope of coverage is is just really good, it, and. Uh, it does bring the business community together in many respects. I've been very surprised, as you said, since I was a, a, a cover boy, I guess you'd say, uh, of how many people subscribe that I would not have thought would have been interested in business North Carolina. That, was, to me, was very interesting. I heard from a lot of people that I just wouldn't have uh, imagined to be a subscriber. It really is 40-some years old. It is the voice of the business community in the state. And, and we've always taken a broad view of business. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of time, a lot of people don't think of media companies as businesses, but they are. And yours certainly is, was a very big business. And, um, and we also try to cover and really care about small town North Carolina. And certainly you're, you've got a lot of properties in larger cities, but you've got a lot of small town radio stations. And we think that's important for our state, that we used to be a state of small towns and the sun will shine on rural North Carolina again. So we, we particularly like sh shining a light on your activities to remind folks of that. Now, uh, unlike the newspaper business, uh, the daily newspapers in particular, which depended a great deal on the editorial page and editorial opinion, Business North Carolina does not uh, uh, take editorial positions. That, that's right. Uh, it, the, 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 we just don't think it's a good place for us to be. Uh, we do plenty of that in the newspaper, 
business and I think in the magazine space, we just need to cover the cover the news. They don't I think you end up alienating readers when you're in a, such a niche market like that. It's you, you're better off just providing them the information they crave and, and do it without opinion. Well, North Carolina certainly has become a business favorite. And uh, I think uh, the, the uh, publication uh, certainly proves that almost every edition is, is interesting. And we find out more and more uh, businesses are looking to North Carolina to locate and, and become a part of our state. And uh, I think probably one of the good reasons is the uh, the way that uh, business is promoted and North, Business North Carolina does a great job of doing that. Well, thank you, Don. Well, we're going to take a break. We, uh, as I said, when we started the program, we are going to uh, also ask David to discuss uh, in detail uh, being the publisher of a, a, a smaller market newspaper because newspapers are under fire almost everywhere in the large markets and and in most small markets. But his is thriving, and that's interesting. So we want to check on that. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. One in three adults in America have prediabetes, but most don't know it. To let people know it can be reversed before it becomes type 2 diabetes, professional basketball player Julius Randle is doing everything in reverse. I'm only dunking with reverse windmills. I drove the whole way to practice in reverse. I don't recommend it. This move's called the reverse shuffle. I do recommend it. And it took me months to learn how to speak in reverse, like this. <clears throat> Here's 10 almost for diabetes type 2 with living Ben has my mom. In other words, my mom has been living with type 2 diabetes for almost 10 years. So together, we want to say to the 84 million Americans at risk, Exercise and healthy eating can help reverse prediabetes. Start by taking a simple one-minute risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its prediabetes awareness partners. <laughs> Betty can't say that in reverse. Here's a fun fact for you. The average chameleon can point their eyes in two different directions. On the other hand, the average human can't. So unless you're a chameleon, there's absolutely no way you can focus on texting and driving at the same time. So don't do it, unless you're a chameleon. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, Project Yellow Light, and the Ad Council. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. David Warnoff is our guest. We talked in the first segment with David about his uh uh, business North Carolina business magazine. But in this segment, we want to turn a little bit uh, and talk about his role as publisher of the pilot. A, I believe it's a twice weekly newspaper in uh, uh, Southern Pines and Pinehurst and uh, Aberdeen, that area. Uh, but it's grown into a very interesting uh, uh, situation because a lot of small town newspapers are having trouble, but you're not. Uh, apparently, <laughs> I'm guessing, but it, it all evidence points to the fact that it's a very successful newspaper. So what do you attribute that to, uh, David? Well, I, I usually tell my shareholders uh, brilliant management, but they, they don't believe me. <laughs> on that. Uh, I would say without a doubt, hands down, it's because we serve a really vibrant and growing 
community. And you, you could put the greatest newspaper publisher in the world in a depressed area and they, they will not have any success, but you could put a, a mediocre one like me in a, a growing market and you, you'll achieve some, some success. And so we've been blessed by the uh, prosperity of our community. Now, as we mentioned earlier, your uncle uh, uh, was uh, the publisher of the News and Observer in Raleigh for years, but daily newspapers are under a lot of stress, and most of them are having hard times. Do you see the daily newspaper having a rebound, and are there instances where daily newspapers are still flourishing? Uh, I, I think there are. There are. They are few and far between, but they, there are examples of, of newspapers doing well. I would suggest uh, that if local, just like your radio stations are special because they are independently owned. And if you compared your radio stations to corporately owned ones, I would imagine you, you would win that comparison. Uh, I would say the same is true in newspapers. An independently owned newspaper is just more relevant to its readership, it's more connected to its community, and therefore it just performs better. So unless and until um, we the community can free its newspaper from its corporate owners, um, I, I don't think there will be a whole lot of success. Um, I would just, again, it's just like in magazines, you've got to be relevant to your community and connected to your community. And, and too often, you know, newspapers are owned by financial owners who are, are on Wall Street and just not interested in what's going on in their community. And therefore, the results are predictable. David, as an outsider, in... Uh looking in at the publishing of daily newspapers, it would appear that the internet did not treat it kindly. And yet it should have been, in my opinion, a blessing, but because it cuts out the print costs, but uh, which is an expensive part, but it did take away things like uh, classified because classified sections were very important to the daily newspaper, big source of revenue and a big source of people's interest, but that's better done on the internet these days. The same, uh, yeah, it's, I, was gonna say that, I was going to say the same is true with real estate ads. That used to be a staple of newspapers, but it's it's something that is better done on the Internet now. It, it is. And, and in monthly magazines, I might add, uh, you know, it's just the the nature of those advertisers and the way they are handled in print has changed and what their demands are have changed. Um, but, you know, people still enjoy uh, reading a newspaper. I, I would say, you know, when I, I can read something on my computer and write something on my computer and edit it and think I've edited it perfectly. And then I print it out and look at the ink on paper and I'll find five mistakes. And I think that's an example of at least people my age. I'm in I'm in my late fifties. Uh, I still am more comfortable with uh, reading something in print, and so I 
whether that's reading a book, or reading a magazine, or reading a newspaper, I, that is my preferred method. And what I would suggest to you is at the pilot, what makes us relevant is we are absolutely devoted to our community. We believe we exist to serve our community. And if you were to rank our priorities, we would say the community is number one. Number one A would be our, our staff. And then number two would be our advertisers and number three would be our owners. Uh, in most corporately owned uh, situations, they would say number one is owners, number two is owners, and number three is owners. So because we are so focused on our community and every decision we make is based on that, we believe the best service we can render is to put out a great newspaper. So that's what we do. So we carry, uh, we have a newsroom of 11 people in in Southern Pines, North Carolina. Wow. I think the Greensboro News and Record has five. And that's a market of 300,000 people. Yeah. And we're in a market of 100,000 and we've got twice as many. So I, I just, I use that as an example to say, by being so devoted to your market is to put out a great product, you, you will be rewarded for that. You're putting out something that makes the, the community proud and provides a forum for civic debate. Now, I wish that debate were more civil, but we, we feel like we're, we're getting better. As the further away from the pandemic we get, I think we're getting, everybody's calming down a little bit. Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because, uh, of course, television journalism is, uh, and the television owners will tell you this, because it's based on ratings. And the general public is more interested in rapes, robberies, murders, and crime than they are in the happenings of the city council or the county board of commissioners or the school board. And so consequently, in a town like, say, Raleigh, uh, unless uh, the daily newspaper is around to cover those things, you don't know. I was telling somebody yesterday, uh, I've lived in Raleigh now for 45 or 50 years, and I, I don't believe I could name the entire city council. This is probably the first time in my lifetime that I could say that. But the reason is they get very little coverage. Exactly. The, the people the, the, that just shows you the power of print and the, and the importance of it, the, the, the leads to a less engaged society when, when that breaks down. And so it's, we're a, a force for civic good. And, um, the, the communities that have lost their newspaper, even even when they they didn't always agree with them, they sure do. They, they sure would love to have them back. Um, so, do you I see any happen, kind of a revival for that, or or if not, what is going to fill the gap? Because sooner or later, something has to fill that gap. Well, I think uh, print is going to be around for a while. Uh, I, I think that'll be, um, you know, folks, folks used to say, you know, you know, look, we still have railroads, you know, I mean, how long, you know, that used to be the most dominant form of transportation. Now it's, it's not, but it, railroads are still around. Newspapers are going to be around a while. Um, 
you've got to have a, a blend of digital delivery, you know, text delivery, um, email newsletters, social media. We just have to find our readers where they are. Newspapers will not be as wildly profitable as they were in the late 80s and early 90s, but they're still, if you, if you remain relevant, you will still, um, you will find a readership and you will find people who want to borrow that attention to sell their goods and services. Well, so well, I also I think we'll be around a while. It'll just look a little different. Well, as an outsider also looking in, they've got two factors that are not uh, easily controlled. One is the cost of distribution, i.e. delivery, and also the cost of printing the paper. Yes. Uh, those are things that have gotten way out of line and makes it even more difficult because in a day and age where subscriber count is going down, costs are going up. Yes. <laughs> it, it, so it's not as, uh, it's not as lucrative as it used to be, but, but still, still worth the juice is still worth the squeeze. Uh, so we have a small army of folks who drive around two days a week, delivering the newspaper and the on on Saturday night and Tuesday and early Sunday morning and on Tuesday night and early Wednesday morning. Um, yeah. And to, to get it printed and get it delivered, it's a miracle. It ends up on your doorstep, but it's one we've been doing here in Southern Pines for 103 years. Uh, it's not a lot of businesses that can say they've been around that long. And last night to give you an idea, you know, say our, was that old Mark Twain line about my, my demise has been greatly exaggerated. Yes. Uh, last night we had our our best of the pines event. Um, we had six hundred and forty three people at the fair bar celebrating independent businesses here in Southern Pines of Pine Ridge and Aberdeen. Six hundred and forty three, and we had a waiting list of several dozen long to get in, and that that shows you the power of the pilot that we can. We still have the ability to rally the community uh, when needed. And that is something that not many media companies can do. Um, and we we pulled everybody together and it was a, a great night. And they weren't there for our journalism. They were there to support each other and their community and to revel in their success. In your particular case, in the smaller markets, how important is the editorial page? And do you take positions in that size market that, uh, uh, say, uh, compare with the positions that the daily newspapers took back in the 80s and 90s when they were heavily politically uh, motivated? We are, we believe the newspaper, uh, I think, is a forum for civic debate. And so, you know, we we feel it is important in the newspaper product to be able to spur on that debate by voicing our own opinions. And we also, uh, I think it's of great value to know how your fellow members of your community think. So we run a very robust letters to the editor section, run commentary by folks around town, you know, in columns. And our editorials are as, uh, rambunctious as uh as any and i would we you know it's in a small town it's it's a lot harder to um 
to have a, a, a tough editorial position when you had to go sit next to that person at church on Sunday. Yeah. You know, at the you know, city like Raleigh, you got an armed security guard at the gate before to get into your building. Here, we're just much more accessible. So we're, uh, we, we take editorial positions on only local matters. We, we have two editorials a week, and they're only on local issues. Interesting. David Warnoff is our guest. He's the publisher of a, a very outstanding local newspaper in Southern Pines, Pinehurst, that area, as well as the uh, publisher of business magazines like Business North Carolina. And uh, we are going to come back. And when we do, we want to talk about your uncle just a little bit. And we'll do that right after we take time out for these messages. 145 over 92. 180 over 111. 182 over 100. And I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest and then a stroke. Your blood pressure numbers could change your life. A lot of people don't understand, including myself, I didn't, now I do, uh, the impact of having a stroke. My memory is shot. When I woke up, I couldn't speak. Lowering your high blood pressure could save you from a heart attack or stroke. If you've stopped your treatment plan, restart it or talk to your doctor about creating one that works better for you. Start taking the right steps at manageyourbp.org. It's a new life, but I'm going to make it better. I'm coming back. Ask your doctor. Check your blood pressure. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. When you went car shopping, you meant business. You ace vehicle history searches and test drives. You out salesmen to the salesman. Now you've got your wheels. If you manage that, you can get your retirement plan on track. Visiting aceyourretirement.org can help. With 401k tips and smart saving strategies, you'll have the info you need to get more for your future. Go to aceyourretirement.org because when it comes to speeding past financial challenges, you're an ace. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to Carolina Newspapers. Uh, <laughs> I said newspapers. Welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is uh, associated with the newspaper business, and I guess that's the reason I made that mistake. It's David Warnoff, and he's the publisher of a very successful twice-weekly newspaper, uh, as well as some statewide magazines that we've talked about. But he also is the nephew of perhaps one of the most famous of all journalists in North Carolina history, and that would be Frank Daniels Jr. He was a very colorful person, outstanding newspaper man. And uh, uh, I'm sure you could tell us some great Frank Daniels, uh, Frank Daniels stories, and I would like to have one or two. Oh, well, I, I, how much time you got? I can give you a few of them, and I'm happy to. Um, well, first, let me explain that. So my mother lives in Raleigh. Uh, her name is Patsy Daniels, and he is, she is Frank's younger sister and only sibling. So that's why So it's through, I'm related to Frank through my mother, which is why I have an unusual last name. Um, Frank has been a, a or was a fixture in my life for for uh, up until a little over a year ago um and miss him very much um he he taught me a, a lot about life and a, and a lot about the newspaper business 
uh, I, I thought I'd share with your listeners maybe my my favorite story about Frank. Uh, I've got two of them, I can tell you. Um, one of them was early in my career here in Pinehurst. Um, so this was in the late mid to late 90s in the run up to the 1999 U.S. Open. Um, the village of Pinehurst and the Pinehurst Resort got into a, a tussle over who owned the name Pinehurst. And the resort maintained that, you know, so the, the, the municipality of Pinehurst didn't exist until 1980, 100 years after Pinehurst, the resort, was created. So they, the resort said, we own the name and we're going to control who can use it. And so they started going to businesses in town that used the name Pinehurst in their name and threatened them with financial ruin if they didn't change their name. So we took umbrage with that and uh, wrote a, a pretty feisty editorial about it. And then we, the editor wrote a column about it. We had two letters to the editor about, you know, all castigating the, uh, the resort for their, ill-advised decision and uh so the entire editorial page was all about and we had a cartoon depicting them in a, in a harsh light uh so the entire editorial page was all about Pinehurst Resort uh so end of the day rolled around and the the uh CEO of the of the resort called up and and you know I answered the phone and he didn't say hello this is such and such he just started cussing me out. I mean, just really just one four letter word after the other. And, um, and he ended his, and you know, like anytime you have a, you know, an irate caller, you, you, you don't interrupt them. You just let them go. And so he, he ended his tirade by saying, you know, you're from a pretty famous publishing family and you know what, you're nothing but a disgrace to your family today. And so I thought, Oh boy, uh, I better not, I'm not going to take that. So I told him, I said, I tell you what, if you thought today was bad, you wait till we get finished with you on Thursday and uh, <laughs> hung up the phone. And uh, I thought I better call Frank up and uh, warn him because the guy was so mad. I thought he'd probably call Frank. Uh, I just wanted to give him a heads up that he, he's going to get an angry phone call. And so I recounted what happened. And, and Frank told me this was such a great, you know, he could tell I was a little rattled and he, uh, he said, well, David, you know what? And, and yeah, this is the largest largest business in our town. And he said, and they're our largest advertiser, I might add. Uh, and he said, well, David, you know what? You'll never go wrong punching the biggest bully in town in the nose. But you will always be wrong if you fail to offer the weakest person in town a hand up. So, so I calmed down a little bit. And then he said, in his classic Frank Jr. way, he looked at it and he said, and besides, the jury's still out on whether or not you're a disgrace or not. And <laughs> with that, you know, that was that was Frank. He, he you know, a little bit of humor and a lot of humility and uh, just sort of and, and you know, the guy never called Frank and he called me back the next day and apologized. And we're great friends ever since, by the way. So the end, it was a happy note. Um, that was my favorite Frank story. Before you get, I, I want the second story also, but before you get to that, I'll, I'll tell you that uh, early on in my broadcast career here in Raleigh, 
uh, Frank said to me, he said, uh, Don, you know, for a radio guy, you're not all bad. <laughs> That's right. Yep. Yep. Uh, and of course, he used a couple of other words along the way, but uh, <laughs> but he was a wonder, and he was a friend. Uh, you know, I, I told Frank one time. I said, I don't ever, uh, I don't always agree with you, but I always know that you are speaking from the heart and from your, uh, your from your own conscience on every decision you make, and it's not motivated by money. And I admire that greatly. So, did you have a second story on Frank, Frank Daniels Jr.? Well, I have one. It was a nice little piece of business advice that your, your listeners may appreciate. I was fortunate enough to get it um, my first week on the job. I was my late 20s when uh, uh, the opportunity to, to acquire the pilot came up. And uh, we had, I guess I was 30 uh, when that happened. Um, and we bought the pilot uh, in a competitive bid. So, the one of the other so the other bidders only knew well Frank Daniels Jr. bought it. They didn't know that there were other guys and that I was going to be the publisher. So one of the other bidder wrote a very impassioned five-page letter to Frank on why he should be the next publisher of the pilot. And and it was really an awesome letter. I read it every so often just to remind myself that there are a lot of people who can do my job better than me. And that it, you know, kind of keep me on my game. And uh, the, the, by any measure, this guy was more qualified to be the publisher of the pilot than me. He was a, he, he was a Ivy league educated uh, uh, undergrad, you know, graduated Phi Beta Kappa. Then he was a state government reporter for the Charlotte observer. Then he was a state government editor for the Charlotte observer. Then he went to, went back to the, uh, uh, went back to the Ivy League and got a law degree. So he became a First Amendment attorney for the Charlotte Observer. A really impressive guy. And uh, he, uh, so Frank Jr. gets the letter and he writes at the top, as is his practice, David, might make a good editor. Give him a call. And, and so yeah, I'm 30 years old. This guy's probably 20 years older than me and really, really impressive. And so... Uh, called Frank Frank, yeah, this guy clearly wants to be the publisher of the paper, not the editor. Uh, and I'm afraid if I hire this guy, he's going to be gunning to be the publisher of the pilot the minute he walks in the door. Which, so as soon as I said that, I knew I'd made a mistake. And Frank Jr. wasted no time in reminding me of that. And he roared into the phone with a string of expletives. You know, you blah, 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 all the way down the line. Uh, and he said, uh, I'll, I'll never forget it. He's like, if you have to be the smartest guy in the newspaper, we're going to fail because you're not that smart, one. And two, we will only be as good as you. And I would say to your listeners, um, if in your organization, the CEO has to be the, the most intelligent person then you can only be as good as that person. And, and that is not, the, the better organizations are the ones that have a lot of talent up and down the organizational chart. And, and the CEO is confident enough to allow them uh, to show their talents. So Frank, after barking at me, uh, he could tell I was rattled and he, uh, 
and and he finally said he softened his tone and he said, David, um, if you're so so insecure in your position as the second largest shareholder in this company that you can't hire somebody better than you, because first rate managers hire people better than themselves and they're not afraid to do it. If you you're not the guy I thought you were. So which is that was pretty tough love on my first day. And that became our rule that everybody we hired had to be better than me. And which admittedly, Don, as you know, is a low bar, but uh, <laughs> it, it's what's helped us uh, grow as an organization because we I learned that lesson on my first day on the job. Well, that was an important lesson. And, and, and Frank did this daily in his uh, coverage of news, especially on the editorial page. Uh, he gave out a lot of good advice. And as I said, I didn't always agree with it, but uh, I always knew it was well-meaning. And he was, uh, Frank Daniels Jr., quite an important part of the growth of the, the Triangle and North Carolina in general. And of course, he also had a role in education as a member of the Board of Trust uh, of the Board of Governors at, of the University of North Carolina as well. Just an outstanding person, and I miss him and his advice and his counsel every day. Speaking of that, uh, what do you think Frank would say uh, if he were uh, 50 years old about the future of uh, the print business, especially daily newspapers? What would he say? Oh, well, you know, it's funny. We've had, I, I can tell because I had this conversation with him before he died. Um, and we were, I could tell he would buy, he would have done everything he could to acquire the Raleigh newspaper again, buy it back from McClatchy and buy the Charlotte Observer along with it. He was very bullish on the industry. And if he, he just thought he was too old. But if he were 50 years old today, he would do it. Uh, yeah, and he, I just love the idea that he he would uh, buy it back at a much cheaper price than he sold it for, um, pennies on the dollar. So, uh, yes, he would be very bullish on the future of the, uh, particularly papers like Raleigh and Charlotte, which are in growing, vibrant communities. And uh, yeah, the NNO they look they still have fifty reporters in in Raleigh. I mean, that is a they're they're not to be trifled with. They are still a a solid news organization. Uh, so Raleigh is fortunate to have something like that because a lot of communities don't. Well, you know, one of the problems of, of being in uh, Raleigh is do you serve Wake County or do you serve the area? Because the interest uh, and the uh, coverage has to be uh, focused on one or the other because it's very difficult to serve two masters. Yeah, I would think their primary focus would be on Wake County and then secondarily Durham and Orange. But I I am very fond of the editor of the NNO. In fact, I was in a meeting with him this morning. Um, Bill Church is a great guy and a, and a fine newspaper man and a fine editor. Um, but I'm loathe to tell him how to how to tell his community stories. Um, so I would, but I, I would say he would be a, um, you know, Raleigh's lucky to have a guy like Bill running the NNO. Well, it is a, it, it's, it's an interesting business. And uh, I would have to agree with Frank. I think there's a role 
for the daily newspaper, but I somehow or another it, it's going to have to be reinvented to make it relevant, as you said, on a local individual basis to the citizens of the local town. That's, that's just absolutely key. That's what you're doing in Southern Pines with the pilot. And uh, uh, it's uh, the bigger the city, the harder it is to do that, or the bigger the area, the harder it is to do that. Um, but uh, I think there's still a great, great opportunity there. Our guest is David Warnoff. He's, uh, as we said, uh, publisher of not only a twice daily, very successful local newspaper, but also a series of magazines. And we want to talk about the state of journalism. We want to talk about fake news and things of this nature. And we'll do that when we return with the next segment of Carolina Newsmakers. Hey, Dad, how do airplanes fly? What's in this box? Can I touch this? Where does sand come from? Is this tree good for climbing? What happens if I mix these two things together? How are babies made? What does this thing do? Kids are curious about everything, including guns. Talking to them about gun safety in your home is a good first step, but you can do more. Always keep your guns locked, unloaded, and stored separately from ammunition. Storing your guns securely is the best way to prevent family fire, including unintentional shootings. For more information on safe gun storage and ways to keep your family safe, visit endfamilyfire.org. That's endfamilyfire.org. What do we keep in the attic? What's this thing called? Can I ride my bike backwards? Like I said, kids are curious. It's up to us to keep them safe. Brought to you by End Family Fire, Brady, and the Ad Council. Hey, hon, what you doing with your phone? Taking pictures? No, I'm asking questions. Like what? Hey, Bobo, do flowers have best friends? I'm sorry. I'm afraid I don't know that. Hey, follow me. I want to show you something. Look, flowers do have best friends. Whoa. Some answers can only be found in nature. Discover the unsearchable. Visit discovertheforest.org to find a trail near you. Brought to you by the United States Forest Service and the Ad Council. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back with the final segment of Carolina Newsmakers for this week. I think we've had a wonderful uh, and very varied program, a little different from our normal programs. Our guest is David Warnoff, and as we said, he is... Uh, the publisher of a very successful twice-daily newspaper in a relatively small market, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, and Aberdeen, but also series of magazines, including Business North Carolina, a statewide business magazine, which focuses on North Carolina's thriving business economy. David, let's talk a little bit about the, uh, the whole area of how people get their news these days. Uh, we talked earlier about the fact that the daily newspaper uh, is, uh, has lost a lot of ground, a lot of relevance in today's uh, circulation of news. Um, and then we have things like uh, the Internet that uh, provide people with the opportunity to say about whatever they want to, when they want to. And we have this new term called fake news that's around. What is your overall view of how people get their news and how can they depend on what sources that they do go to? Well, that therein is the, the problem, Don. You know, that if you you've got to have trust in the outlet that you're you're consuming the news from. So I I would tell you, first of all, you almost need like I feel like we almost need like a nutrition label on news, <laughs> sort of like you have on food. 
you know, who owns the outlet? Where where is it headquartered? What how is it that you've got to be able to trust them? And if if you're you're so much um, by you know, the so much what passes for journalism, certainly at a national level, um, and and you see more and more of it at the state level here is is you know, bias is baked into the um, to the journalism. Now you could some some folks would say that's been going on for forever. Um, I would submit to you that that's a relatively recent uh, incarnation. That for the most part, most newspapers over the you know for the span of their you know couple hundred years uh, have been. You know, for the or the most recently have been um, objective sources of news, uh, and then in, I say within the last five years, you know, opinion seems to be creeping onto the front page of news outlets, which erodes the community's trust in that those outlets, and you see that on. Uh, you know, on television in particular, or you can see it in print, you know, the New York Times versus the Wall Street Journal or CNN versus Fox. And, you know, you, it, you know, what I find how that affects me here is if we write something that challenges a reader's worldview, uh, then it's considered bias. Uh, whereas if we write something that confirms their worldview, then it's, it is pure as a driven snow journalism. And usually what I get, I get a call from a reader, they'll say that editorial was the most biased editorial I've ever read in my life. And I'm usually sort of tongue in cheek, trying to lighten the mood. I say, well, you know, those, those biased editorials are the best ones. And <laughs> yeah, because it's, it is, you know, it's an editorial is a, a piece of opinion. Yeah. Uh, is when 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 they say the front page news story is biased that then, then we have a problem. No. Uh, and I think so. So I guess your question is sort of fake news. Uh, that, that's a coined by a politician who's just trying to deflect, you know, somewhat unflattering news coverage is what I think that's become. Well, you know, we picked on the print business, but the major networks, of course, had uh, dominance of uh, attention in the 80s and the 70s, 60s, 70s, and 80s. CBS Evening News, NBC Evening News, ABC Evening News, far many more listeners, far more important than today. It was the the expansion into the cable that allowed so many more news outlets. And the problem with those news outlets uh, like CNN and and uh uh, Fox and uh, CSNBC is they have so much time to fill. I mean, it is incredible, and so they probably overcover almost every story, looking for teeny tiny details that may not be as important as they as they make them be. I, I think you're right. Uh, you know, and rather than just be concise and just cover the news, they they have to embellish, uh, and and that I think is what leads to mistrust. Well, um, you, we were talking about your uncle, uh, Frank Daniels Jr., uh, uh, I know about five years ago. He said, you know, you do a really good job on the news on WPTF. And I said, you know, Frank, it's right easy to be uh, 
without bias when you're writing a five uh, a three to five sentence news story <laughs> the longer the story the more opportunity there is for bias to slip in exactly and so radio news is easy to uh, uh in most cases radio news comes out pretty good as far as being unbiased but it's pretty easy when the story is that short yeah, well, so we we spend a lot of time here uh, in the pilot. You know, I, I usually hear from you know, and boy, you know, in a local newspaper, you know, there's there's no more of a flashpoint than covering the board of education, and I, I'll hear school board folks who would who are cussing mad at me. They'll say, "Well, you know, you got it right on the news side, but that editorial was terrible." Yeah, uh, and and which I take as music to my ears. So, you know, we we got it right, and I I would love to see news organizations just devote themselves to the um, the concept of objectivity. And a lot of newsroom, a lot of journalism circles, that is, but um, you you you, it's a flashpoint with journalists because a lot of them they they feel like they should be uh, writer of wrongs and. And they want to um, they want to be able to espouse their point of view in their news stories. And so every time we hire a reporter, I tell them if they want to be an opinion writer, uh, you know, we'll be happy to talk to them about writing something, you know, writing a column on the editorial page. But they will not be a reporter for us. Their jobs to chronicle the news events that they observe uh, without fear and without favor. And so we, I feel like if we can do that, that we will win and earn our community's trust. Where does the smartphone fit into all this? Because more and more people are getting their news off their smartphone. Uh, I think the dynamics are the same is that you've got to be able to trust the source of the information. So if, uh, you know, it's where it gets challenging, particularly for local news outlets like ours, uh, to, to have the technical know-how to, to deliver uh, and the ability to deliver the information uh, digitally is getting harder and harder to do. You know, in some ways it's getting easier, but in other ways it's getting harder and more complex. Um, so the the better we get at delivering news digitally, the the less lucrative it is. What so is that's, the danger? That's sort of a challenge. What's the danger in overcovering a story? Well, I I think it. Well, it just depends on, you don't want to make, you know, the proverbial mountain out of a molehill. I think you got to, you know, your coverage needs to reflect the relative importance of it. So for us, when the U.S. Open comes to town next summer, that's a, you know, when the history of our community is written, that's going to be a, a chapter in our history. So our coverage of it has to reflect that. So we put out a pop-up daily newspaper just about the U.S. Open every day for eight days but a school board member pops off at a at a constituent in a school board meeting yeah that that's a, a one story one day kind of deal pop-up news uh, newspapers that's an interesting term in other words when you have a big story you could have a pop-up or a special edition i guess is, is yes. would be the term that oh people would use i never thought about that that's uh and that would receive much wider circulation. Uh, yes, yeah, so you, and you're not to date you too much, but I would imagine it would you your day they might have called it an extra. Yeah, 
Uh, you, know, you know, ever those newsboys would say extra, extra, read all about it. Well, it would be yep. like that. In fact, we had kids from the Boys and Girls Club dressed up as newsboys uh, with their suspenders and a chapeau and shorts on and running around town with their their uh, red wagons handing papers out during the U.S. Open. Do you see that as a possibility for larger markets? Uh, that, that, that might be, uh, you know, the, the larger marks are just, um, larger, <laughs> just a different, uh, you know, there's so much, there's so much more wealth there, but there, there's just also so much more competition and, and a, a tendency towards being in a small town. So the dynamics just work in our favor to do stuff like that. Uh, I think it's a little trickier in a big city. Are you worried about so much more spread out? Are you worried about artificial intelligence? Uh, I I probably should be Don, but I have not given that a whole lot of thought. Um, So, uh, but it's a big topic in uh, journalism circles. There's a line in the motion picture Inherit the Wind where William Jennings Bryan essentially says, I don't think about things I don't want to think about. And artificial <laughs> intelligence is one of those. I think all of us are very concerned about it, but we don't know enough about it to express a real opinion. But it has possibilities of being very, very dangerous. Yeah, I, I always, when I think about art, I think of the Terminator. <laughs> Maybe Arnold Schwarzenegger had it right. Yes. With the, the, I, I haven't. I, I don't know. You're right. I don't. I don't understand it. I tend to have faith in our, our, our community that folks will. They want to know that the person is writing that story and who that person is, and they want to be able to see that person. And and I think we all have our own style that I think is somewhat recognizable by our readers. So I think we're a little bit immune to that, but I don't want to, but not very. Well, uh, as I said earlier, uh, you are forecasting a rather bright future or a continued bright future for magazines. And, and I, I agree with you in that also. I think there's a place for print. Magazines seem to be doing quite well. Well, I, I think you're right. The, uh, uh, the, the frequency, the monthly frequency works, uh, works a little more, a little better than the, you know, d- certainly than daily or twice weekly. And I suspect you'll see a decrease in the frequency of print going forward. David, but you, it won't go away. David, you left me with a great uh, timing situation. You left me with just enough time to thank you. David Warnoff, uh, newspaper publisher, magazine publisher. Thank you for your insights. Uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast or share it with a friend, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and do just that. Uh, our program has been produced by Jason Kong. He promises me that he'll have another interesting guest again next week. So you, we hope that you'll join us then. The next week, have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.